When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here. We're back with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Excited today because we have Dan Belkowski, who is the founder of a firm in Austin, Texas, Product Tranquility. I just like that. Already, I feel mellowed out after just saying that name. Anyway, we have a great interview today. And before we get into that, a couple of quick announcements. And if you've heard the show, you know what they are. If you've got a story you'd like to share with us, please be sure to reach out on any of the social channels. You know, I'm everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and more. And if you want to ask a question, just include the hashtag Ask Shep. And I'll answer the questions you send in either right there, here on this show, in my newsletter, or on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Apple TV, uh, Amazon Prime, Roku. And we would love for you to watch that. You can catch episodes because we've been able to take some of our more recent episodes going back to the very beginning and include them at beamazing.com. That's be amazing. I'm sorry, strike that. It's amazingtv.com. <laughs> amazingtv.com. I know I've got be amazing go or go home.com. I've got, I'll go, but this is amazingtv.com. All right, let's jump into the interview. Dan Belkowski is the founder of Product Tranquility in Austin, Texas. And what I love about today is, uh, no, he hasn't written a book. Uh, no, he's not considered a customer service experience, expert guru, you know, thought leader, consultant, although maybe he should be because he's going to talk to us about the big differentiator he has in his organization. And that is being able to blow away the customer with amazing service. Dan, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Great to be here, Shep. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great. We're going to just jump right into it. And just to make sure everybody understands product tranquility, it can be any company because what we want to talk about is what you're doing to separate yourself. But the quick one second or one second, one sentence, 30 second version elevator pitch. We've got five floors before I have to get off. What are you going to tell me about product tranquility? Absolutely, well, I'm, I'm struggling today. I haven't had a thing to drink and I'm like stumbling over all my words. That's because this is real and, and unedited radio. <laughs> well, thank you again, Chef, for having me. At Product Tranquility, we help B2B software as a service or SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new products. Interesting. And, and, and I just got to know, uh, you do a lot of data, a lot of research. How does that work? Absolutely. So my main drive was you know, I started on the engineering side of the world and I always, if we were building products. I was always concerned about how the products we were building actually derived value for customers. And so throughout my career, I've gotten closer and closer to the customer. And that's what I really try to do with my clients. I serve when we're working on pricing projects is really help orient them to 
how they can make customers successful, how customers are going to derive value out of their products. So it's a lot of conversations with the customers of clients, a lot of market research via surveys, a lot of working internally with teams to solidify and organize the knowledge that's internal to the organizations. They can make the best decision. Yep. And it's a software solution is what you're selling to make that and drive that experience. Uh, I am uh, doing consulting. So at the end of the day, I'm helping to organize their team so that they can build uh, and ship okay. software solutions. All right. So most of your clients are SaaS based. Correct. Models. That's correct. All right. SaaS subscription as a service, meaning uh, people pay a monthly, quarterly, annual fee for what it is that they do. Excellent. Excellent. So now uh, the, the question is, uh, this should not be just for, I mean, the way I see it, it should not be just for software as a service. It should be anything as a service. So I'm going to call it the ass model, model, A-A-A-S, okay? Ass, whatever it is. Anyway, you get the idea. And here's why. And Dan, help me here. Do you agree with me that anything can be a subscription model? I mean, really anything. Absolutely. We're seeing that all over with razor blades, with dog toys, with children's books, almost everything that you go and buy on Amazon these days, you have a subscribe and save button that implies a subscription. The entire world, it seems, is moving to a subscription model. And I think we really saw the resilience of these type of models during the downturn when COVID started last yep. year. And you know, it, because it really helps solidify the relationship between the business and the customer. But it also requires a in-depth focus by the company on the customer experience and the outcomes customers need to be successful or else they're not going to stick around. Yeah. So I'm a member of a very exclusive club, the Dollar Shave Club. Um, you gotta, you gotta fill out an application and they have to scrutinize you and you have four interviews before they allow you to become a member. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, it's a club. Okay. And I pay a monthly fee. It's about, I think $10 a month. Cause I have the executive blades, you know, which allows my, not only my face, but my head to be shaved ever so smoothly every day. But the point I want to make about this is they sell more than blades. There's add-ons. I can get shave cream. I can get moisturizer. I can get shampoo, other personal care products. But for the basic shave, all right, I pay 10 bucks a month. Every month I get my blades. Now, just recently they announced they're going to stop their little newsletter that is in the box and go green and make it available online. But the newsletter is fun. It's edgy. It's, it's, I mean, it's really kind of a neat little newsletter and it's very timely. It sometimes has to do with what's going on in the world. Sometimes it's what time of year it is, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. I love that because that keeps me engaged, but what about, uh, you know, I've, I've got in my hand now a big pen. Okay. How can big pen become a subscription model? Can a big pen be a subscription? I think it can, but I want your take on it. Yeah, absolutely. I think with the subscription model, really what it focuses the company on is are folks continuously getting value over time? So as you mentioned very pointedly, the newsletter, probably you know, I haven't received the Dollar Shave Club newsletter. They wouldn't let me into the club. So I guess you've got one yeah, up I can on see me. It. You've got a beard. <laughs> you need to be in the, do uh, the Dollar Trim Club. Yes, I have a subscription to my beard balm. It's uh, it's quite that one's quite exclusive. <laughs> but 
with the newsletter, they're not only trying to make sure you stay top of mind, but also are you accomplishing the goals that you know, ostensibly the product is having the product arrive in a box is excellent, but you are, are you shaving properly? Are you shaving with the right frequency? That's are what you- part of that newsletter is. Yeah, exactly. It, it has interesting tidbits, plus telling you what to do to use that product the best way. And making sure that you have a good razor that's not worn down from use that maybe is giving you a subpar shave over time. And so they're able to understand your needs, your usage patterns, and be able to refresh that as you go th- through your usage. And so with a pen would be the exact same way. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't use much uh, my handwriting. I, I'm maybe the only person who can, who can, uh, <laughs> mine as well read it at this point, we could be doctors. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But absolutely. I believe any product could become a subscription. Yeah. At this point. I mean the big pen, the average person runs, if they use their pen on a regular basis, on a daily basis, the average person runs out of ink every six weeks. So let's send somebody two pins a quarter. And by the way, what I love about this is years ago, I heard somebody, I went to a retailer convention, uh, like, you know, I don't know, it's technical or technology in retail. And the guy said, how many of you remember the Dollar Shave Club? How many of you like me have six months worth of blades? sitting in their drawer because they don't use them. They don't switch them out every week. Like you're supposed to, you don't shave every, and, and a bunch of people raise their hands, but you know what I noticed one day out of the clear blue, I received my uh, notice. Hey, we're getting ready to ship, but do you really, and this isn't their words. This is my interpretation. Do you really need your blades this month? Would you like to skip a month? I mean, here they are trying to tell me not to buy something, but you want to know what they're really doing. They're getting me to stay on the model without saying, I don't need you anymore. They're saying, skip the next two months and then resume. I think that's brilliant, brilliant thinking versus let's just make sure we can sell them every month, no matter what, you know, and, and it just keeps getting more and more. I mean, I get more and more razor blades in my, in my, uh, actually though, I think that's, I don't know what your thinking is here, but let's, let's step away for a moment here. So B2B, B2C doesn't matter. Subscription model is great. I've written about this in my book, The Convenience Revolution. Customers love getting things scheduled where they don't have to think about receiving what it is that they need. And companies love the ongoing income, which is why you mentioned a minute ago, so important in the downturn of an economy, such as what we had in COVID or even go back to uh, 2008, nine, when we had a recession and go back to 2001 when we had 9-11. Anyway, I, I want to talk about what you do. And I realize we're going to take a break in about a minute or so, but I want to hear what you're doing to separate yourself from the pack because, hey, you're a consultant selling services. How do you uh, keep your customers? Absolutely. So my core focus is really on the customer's I use the jobs to be done framework. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It was popularized by the late Clayton Christensen, among others, uh, over at uh, Harvard Business School. And the job to be done really has a core focus on what is the outcome that customers are trying to achieve. And so what tends to happen with clients or my clients as companies grow and scale is they start measuring success by the data that's readily available in the building. So operational efficiency, revenues, profits. The problem is, and also in terms of products. So as we just had this discussion about razors and pens versus what is it 
that those razors and pens or the software that my clients are shipping, what does that allow their customers to achieve? And really that is the core source of value. So getting my clients to get a clear view at the value that they're providing based upon the metrics that their customers are using to define success. And so. I get it. I get it. What you're basically telling me is that you understand your customer's criteria for sex, success. That's what we're going to work toward. And if that fits into an amazing business model where you can generate revenue, you have thought customer first, business second. I think that's so important. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more when we come back after the short break. We are talking with Dan Belkowski, and he is the founder of Product Tranquility. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. And you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. When interacting with a customer, customer service professionals require background and context on the customer's history with the business. But too often, they do not know where or how to access that information. Well, the solution is simple. Organizations must arm their customer service teams with technology that can help make their jobs easier and ultimately offer better customer service, which, of course, also benefits the brand. With MindBreeze Inspire, customer service representatives can easily and quickly search for and find the answers they're looking for to help resolve customers' issues or their inquiries. MindBreeze is a leading enterprise search and information insight provider offering efficient knowledge management for large enterprises. Check them out at inspire.mindbreeze.com. That's inspire.mindbreeze.com. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with, and I'm going to get it right without a tongue-twisting stutter, uh, Dan Belkowski with Product Tranquility. And you know what it is? It's the product with the T, Tranquility. The two of them together are jumbling my brain. Product Tranquility. I love it. All right, Dan. So we've talked about this jobs to be done framework. Uh, we talked about focusing on the customer's success uh, of, with the product, what it means to the product, the value we give, and then working backwards to determine whether or not we've got a good business. Now, I watch a TV show almost, I'm going to say almost every day. It's on, reruns all the time, Shark Tank. I love Shark Tank. You've watched this. Absolutely. I love Shark Tank. It's one of my yeah. favorites. And as I listen to what you're saying, and I listen to what the sharks on Shark Tank are doing, I think that what they're looking at is the business and the revenue it will bring. And if we can sell this many, this is, and is there a market for that? But I seldom ever, but once in a while I do, let's, let's give them some credit. I think that when they decide to make the investment, they're also recognizing there's a business that the customer will value. But I think the first thing out of the gate is they look at the numbers. Is this a viable business for me to invest in? What you're suggesting, Dan, is that we look at it the opposite way. We look at it, is this something the customer would buy? And what? Do, and, and when they do buy it, are they going to be successful with it and want to buy more because of that success? And then you're backing into the whole sales process. Absolutely. I think it was Peter Drucker who said, customers rarely buy what companies think they're selling them. And companies make this mistake all the time where we get very enamored with the technology that we've built 
and we lose focus on the value that the customers are actually getting out of it. And I understand why there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of challenges. People are constantly busy inside of companies with the KPIs that they need to meet. And we don't live inside the shoes of our customers. And so the idea of value can also be very ambiguous for companies. Usually in a B2B context, it's reduce costs, grow revenue, reduce the likelihood of something terrible happening. And so the faster that we can get to a clear understanding of what difference our products are making in the lives of customers, the more successful that will be. Yeah. Um, so you said something there, you, you, um, and I want to, I, I should have written it down cause you, you, it, it clicked for me. Um, oh, that technology, the technology that we become enamored with, that was it. So many times that's what happens. We become enamored companies and they, they push it on the customer, even if it's not the best, best solution for the customer, it just seems like it's going to be great for us as the company. And I think that's what you're referring to. Absolutely. And I think that we also, you know, oftentimes in my world, we'll talk about you know, the customer journey and companies' primary mistake when thinking about the customer journey is they'll think about it only from the purchase maintenance support aspect of it, where it really loses focus that, you know, it's the, it's the old problem that Galileo and Copernicus, we are not the center of the universe. Oftentimes as companies selling products, we think we're the center of the universe in our customer's journey when we're only a part. And so when we don't take the time to really understand the full journey, like what is the customer's day-to-day -day like? What is it that they're trying to do? What are they trying to accomplish you know, in their business, in their careers, you know, as consumers? And where do we fit into it? Gives you a much better picture and ability to innovate, support them in achieving their goals. So what do you suggest that we all do to make that happen? We need to be talking to our customers more. And how, okay, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, you just pick up the phone. I mean, I know that surveys, um, what kind of data do you need and how do you get it? Yeah, absolutely. I generally don't recommend focus groups. They tend to be very noisy. They get dominated by the loudest voice. They tend to merge towards groupthink. Obviously, if you can do more of an ethnographic type observation where you actually watch people in their regular environment, that's sort of the best. It tends to be very expensive. So, and not necessary unless you're at the very cutting edge of, of innovation. But if you're making medical devices, it pro you know, we're in the category of surgical tools, it probably pays to sit inside the OR and watch the surgeon operate or have video of that so you understand the entire situation, the context in which that product is being used versus just understanding some basic specifications of a medical device. I'll but, go a step further and, and add, if we would just spend more time getting feedback from our front line on what they're hearing, seeing in, or experiencing in real time from customers, I think we would get a lot of information that we didn't have before, especially if we're sitting, sitting at the top floor of an office building, you know, as a C-level executive. Yeah, hundred percent. Talking to your sales reps, the frontline support team, the customer success team is very important, but also there's no substitute for talking to the customer directly. The reason being is that in many of those sales interactions or support interactions, there's often a not 
it's not the right context to really dig into a lot of the underlying causes of why things don't work. I have massive respect for support professionals because they are constantly in a firefighting mode. So I would not necessarily expect them to spend 30 minutes or an hour with a customer who's having a problem trying to dig out the whole backstory of how they got to that situation. However, if you are an executive, if you're a product manager in that organization, and that type of situation is coming up often, it definitely behooves you to go and have those deeper conversations where you can unearth the root causes behind why these problems are occurring. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you've got to ask a lot of questions. You've got to listen. Uh, so we've talked about Shark Tank. How do you feel about Undercover Boss? I've, I've only watched a couple episodes, so I'm not an expert. All right. But what I love about that is the boss goes undercover and takes a job, uh, typically on the front line. Sometimes it's really, you know, it, it's like a, a restaurant owner, uh, a person who runs a, or, or is the, you know, CEO of a major chain decides I'm going to go in and try to get a job, see how they treat us. And, and they're, they're overwhelmed by, uh, sometimes by great things, but oftentimes by the problems that their employees are having and, and their ability to deliver on what the original vision of that CEO, owner, founder uh, really had in mind. Yeah, I think this is a problem that we have when we rely too much on data. We look at all of the data being generated, whether that's sales or operations data, and we assume that that data maps to reality, whereas all data has a bias. And so we, if we accept that, then you have to look at, okay, what are all of the points of view I can get to mitigate the different biases from different data sources that I'm getting about what is actually going on in my customer's experience? Yeah. I've, I find that when you're collecting data in survey format, you get the people that love you, the people that hate you, and the people that really don't care, don't really care and they don't respond the way they should. So you're really getting skewed results. You're thinking, oh, 75% of our customers give us a five on a scale of one to five and a bunch give us a four, but, and then a few give us ones and twos. But what about all those threes that are out there? The ones that are going just, uh-huh, they're okay. I think there's a bias just in the type of data that you get. Absolutely. And so you have multiple forms of bias. I call this the Yelp effect. If you ever look at reviews on Yelp, you get a lot of five stars, a lot of one stars, and not much in between, because these are the people who are extremely passionately happy or passionately angry. And you really, this brings up the point of, an, I think, an over-reliance oftentimes on something like NPS. I think NPS is, is good, but it, I think companies tend to look at the number way more and give it way more weight than they should. The text data and it really should point out a area to dive in more and get more information behind the number. Also looking at the response rate so that the non-response based, the non-respondents, I guess you'd call it, are as important as the people who respond. And if you just look at the top level NPS number, it can give you a very skewed view of reality. Right. And I always want to know, I mean, and you started to go there, you're talking about quantitative versus qualitative what's behind the number. If somebody gives me a five on a scale of zero to 10, and I can't imagine, we talk about NPS so much on the show, net promoter score. What's the likelihood that you would recommend us on a scale of zero to 10? 
I mean, if somebody doesn't know that, well, now you do. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, the, the whole point is if somebody gives me a five, you know, why did you give me a five would be nice, but what would it take to get a six or a seven? You know, that's an important question. If you gave me a 10, I'm just not going to be elated about it. I want to know why did you give us a 10? You know, did we, what did we do right? Is it just as important as what did we do wrong? Absolutely. And we have to also remember that, you know, NPS, well, as I've seen it is often implemented poorly where companies maybe send an NPS survey to a customer once in their lifetime. So if I was to send Shep an NPS survey and he rates me a 10, well, you know, I think for the rest of time, Shep loves my company versus having a repeated ask of, okay, how are we doing now? Right. And you and have that's to have what you're problem. asking. What's your, uh, based on your most recent experience. Okay. What about the one before that you didn't ask me about, you know, and like I get, um, uh, uh emails from the airlines and they go, you just recently flew from St. Louis to Chicago. Yeah, but it was St. Louis, Chicago, Philadelphia. You need to ask me about the other segment because this segment, everybody was a rock star in the next one. Oh my gosh, I never want to fly the airline again, but I don't want to get the people in this segment in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> there's flaws. And also I think that typical surveys are history lessons. You learn a lot from history. Um, I think the behavioral lesson is, are they, you know, especially in your world, which is mostly subscription based, are they subscribing again and again and again, because that's their behavior, not their last week's sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one benefit of the subscription takeover of most businesses has been the rise of the customer success organization. So, which is somewhat ironic because I guess before subscription, nobody was caring about how successful customers were. So I guess we can look at that as a net positive development in the world. It does create a little bit of a problem because now you've identified one part of the organization is only responsible for customers being successful. And so I still think that those organizations, while a positive development, potentially are trapping the knowledge of customer experience too tightly inside of that one part of the organization, instead of really pushing it up and ingraining it into the entire executive suite team and having everyone at that table be responsible for you know, the retention and satisfaction of the customers. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, we can go on and on, but we are not only out of time, we're over time, but I'm still going to ask you the one thing question. What's the one last nugget you want to leave with us? That one thing. So I think too often inside of companies, they define success by their internal metrics, not the metrics that customers use to define their success. And I think that should change. Yep. And that kind of brings us full circle because we talked about uh, the, uh, as you said, it, jobs to be done uh, or job, job to be, you know, jobs to be done framework that you mentioned earlier. Yep. So Correct. awesome ideas, Dan. Thank you so much for being on the show. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio. You're amazing. Thank you, Shep. It was great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another great interview. I know there are a number of takeaways. Sit down, listen to it again, have a pen in your hand, paper in front of you, or something that allows you to take notes. We're going to be back next week with another amazing interview. And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.